Question 123, Part 2 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Fortitude. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Fortitude, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 123, of Fortitude, in Twelve Articles, Part 2, Articles 7 through 12. Seventh Article, Whether the Brave Man Acts for the Sake of the Good of His Habit. Objection 1. It seems that the brave man does not act for the sake of the good of his habit. For in matters of action, the end, though first in intention, is last in execution. Now the act of fortitude in the order of execution follows the habit of fortitude. Therefore, it is impossible for the brave man to act for the sake of the good of his habit. Objection 2. Further, Augustine says, on the Trinity 13, We love virtues for the sake of happiness, and yet some make bold to counsel us to be virtuous, namely by saying that we should desire virtue for its own sake, without loving happiness. If they succeed in their endeavor, we shall surely cease to love virtue itself, since we shall no longer love that for the sake of which alone we love virtue. But fortitude is a virtue. Therefore, the act of fortitude is directed not to fortitude but to happiness. Objection 3. Further, Augustine says in On the Morals of the Catholic Church and on the Morals of the Manichaeans, 15, that Fortitude is love ready to bear all things for God's sake. Now God is not the habit of fortitude, but something better, since the end must needs be better than what is directed to the end. Therefore, the brave man does not act for the sake of the good of his habit. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 3.7 that to the brave man, fortitude itself is a good, and such is his end. I answer that, an end is twofold, proximate and ultimate. Now the proximate end of every agent is to introduce a likeness of that agent's form into something else. Thus the end of fire in heating is to introduce the likeness of its heat into some passive matter, and the end of the builder is to introduce into matter the likeness of his art. Whatever good ensues from this, if it be intended, may be called the remote end of the agent. Now just as in things made, external matter is fashioned by art, so in things done, human deeds are fashioned by prudence. Accordingly, we must conclude that the brave man intends as his proximate end 
to reproduce in action a likeness of his habit, for he intends to act in accordance with his habit. But his remote end is happiness or God. This suffices for the replies to the objections. For the first objection proceeds as though the very essence of a habit were its end, instead of the likeness of a habit in act as stated. The other two objections consider the ultimate end. Eighth article. Whether the brave man delights in his act. Objection 1. It seems that the brave man delights in his act. For delight is the unhindered action of a connatural habit. Ethics 10, 4, 6, and 8. Now the brave deed proceeds from a habit which acts after the manner of nature. Therefore, the brave man takes pleasure in his act. Objection 2. Further, Ambrose, commenting on Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is charity, joy, peace, says that deeds of virtue are called fruits because they refresh man's mind with a holy and pure delight. Now the brave man performs actions of virtue. Therefore, he takes pleasure in his act. Objection 3. Further, the weaker is overcome by the stronger. Now the brave man has a stronger love for the good of virtue than for his own body, which he exposes to the danger of death. Therefore, the delight in the good of virtue banishes the pain of the body, and consequently the brave man does all things with pleasure. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 3.9 that the brave man seems to have no delight in his act. I answer that, as stated above in Pars Prima Secunde, question 31, articles 3, 4, and 5, where we were treating of the passions, pleasure is twofold. One is bodily, resulting from bodily contact. The other is spiritual, resulting from an apprehension of the soul. It is the latter which properly results from deeds of virtue, since in them we consider the good of reason. Now the principal act of fortitude is to endure not only certain things that are unpleasant as apprehended by the soul, for instance, the loss of bodily life, which the virtuous man loves not only as a natural good, but also as being necessary for acts of virtue and things connected with them, but also to endure things unpleasant in respect of bodily contact, such as wounds and blows. Hence the brave man, on one side, has something that affords him delight, namely as regards spiritual pleasure, in the act itself of virtue and the end thereof, while on the other hand, he has cause for both spiritual sorrow in the thought of losing his life and for bodily pain. Hence we read in Second Maccabees 6.30 that Eleazar said, I suffer grievous pains in body, but in soul am well content to suffer these things because I fear thee. 
Now the sensible pain of the body makes one insensible to the spiritual delight of virtue, without the copious assistance of God's grace, which has more strength to raise the soul to divine things in which it delights than bodily pains have to afflict it. Thus the blessed Tibertius, while walking barefoot on the burning coal, said that he felt as though he were walking on roses. Yet the virtue of fortitude prevents the reason from being entirely overcome by bodily pain, and the delight of virtue overcomes spiritual sorrow, inasmuch as a man prefers the good of virtue to the life of the body and to whatever appertains thereto. Hence the philosopher says in Ethics 2.3 and 3.9 that it is not necessary for a brave man to delight so as to perceive his delight, but it suffices for him not to be sad. Reply to Objection 1. The vehemence of the action or passion of the one power hinders the action of another power. Wherefore, the pain in his senses hinders the mind of the brave man from feeling delight in its proper operation. Reply to Objection 2. Deeds of virtue are delightful chiefly on account of their end. Yet they can be painful by their nature, and this is principally the case with fortitude. Hence the philosopher says in Ethics 3.9 that to perform deeds with pleasure does not happen in all virtues, except insofar as one attains the end. Reply to Objection 3. In the brave man, spiritual sorrow is overcome by the delight of virtue. Yet since bodily pain is more sensible, and the sensitive apprehension is more in evidence to man, it follows that spiritual pleasure in the end of virtue fades away, so to speak, in the presence of great bodily pain. Ninth Article whether fortitude deals chiefly with sudden occurrences. Objection 1. It seems that fortitude does not deal chiefly with sudden occurrences, for it would seem that things occur suddenly when they are foreseen. But Tully says, in On the Art of Rhetoric too, that fortitude is the deliberate facing of danger and bearing of toil. Therefore, fortitude does not deal chiefly with sudden happenings. Objection to. Further, Ambrose says, on the duties of the clergy, one, that the brave man is not unmindful of what may be likely to happen. He takes measures beforehand and looks out as from the cunning tower of his mind so as to encounter the future by his forethought lest he should say afterwards, This befell me, because I did not think it could possibly happen. But it is not possible to be prepared for the future in the case of sudden occurrences. Therefore, the operation of fortitude is not concerned with sudden happenings. Objection 3. Further, the philosopher says in Ethics 3.8 that the brave man is of good hope. But hope looks 
forward to the future, which is inconsistent with sudden occurrences. Therefore, the operation of fortitude is not concerned with sudden happenings. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 3.8 that fortitude is chiefly about sudden dangers of death. I answer that, two things must be considered in the operation of fortitude. One is in regard to its choice, and thus fortitude is not about sudden occurrences, because the brave man chooses to think beforehand of the dangers that may arise in order to be able to withstand them, or to bear them more easily. Since according to Gregory, in his homily 25 on the Gospel, the blow that is foreseen strikes with less force, and we are able more easily to bear earthly wrongs if we are forearmed with the shield of foreknowledge. The other thing to be considered in the operation of fortitude regards the display of the virtuous habit, and in this way fortitude is chiefly about sudden occurrences, because according to the philosopher, in Ethics 3.8, the habit of fortitude is displayed chiefly in sudden dangers, since a habit works by way of nature. Wherefore, if a person without forethought does that which pertains to virtue, when necessity urges on account of some sudden danger, this is a very strong proof that habitual fortitude is firmly seated in his mind. Yet it is possible for a person, even without the habit of fortitude, to prepare his mind against danger by long forethought, in the same way as a brave man prepares himself when necessary. This suffices for the replies to the objections. Tenth Article whether the brave man makes use of anger in his action. Objection 1. It seems that the brave man does not use anger in his action, for no one should employ as an instrument of his action that which he cannot use at will. Now man cannot use anger at will, so as to take it up and lay it aside when he will. For as the philosopher says in On Memory 2, when a bodily passion is in movement, it does not rest at once, just as one wishes. Therefore, a brave man should not employ anger for his action. Objection to. Further, if a man is competent to do a thing by himself, he should not seek the assistance of something weaker and more imperfect. Now the reason is competent to achieve by itself deeds of fortitude, wherein anger is impotent. Wherefore Seneca says, in his On Anger, 1, Reason by itself suffices not only to make us prepared for action, but also to accomplish it. In fact, is there greater folly than for reason to seek help from anger? The steadfast from the unstayed, the trusty from the untrustworthy, the healthy from the sick. Therefore, a brave man should not make use of anger. Objection 3. Further, 
just as people are more earnest in doing deeds of fortitude on account of anger, so are they on account of sorrow or desire. Wherefore the philosopher says in Ethics 3.8 that wild beasts are incited to face danger through sorrow or pain, and adulterous persons dare many things for the sake of desire. Now fortitude employs neither sorrow nor desire for its action. Therefore, in like manner, it should not employ anger. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 3.8 that anger helps the brave. I answer that, as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 24, article 2, concerning anger and the other passions, there was a difference of opinion between the Peripatetics and the Stoics. For the Stoics excluded anger and all other passions of the soul from the mind of a wise or good man, whereas the Peripatetics, of whom Aristotle was the chief, ascribed to virtuous men both anger and the other passions of the soul, albeit modified by reason. And possibly they differed not in reality, but in their way of speaking. For the peripatetics, as stated above, in Pars Prima Secundae, question 24, article 2, gave the name of passions to all movements of the sensitive appetite, however they may comport themselves. And since the sensitive appetite is moved by the command of reason, so that it may cooperate by rendering action more prompt, they held that virtuous persons should employ both anger and the other passions of the soul, modified according to the dictate of reason. On the other hand, the Stoics gave the name of passions to certain immoderate emotions of the sensitive appetite, wherefore they called them sicknesses or diseases, and for this reason severed them altogether from virtue. Accordingly, the brave man employs moderate anger for his action, but not immoderate action. Reply to Objection 1. Anger, that is moderated in accordance with reason, is subject to the command of reason, so that man uses it at his will, which would not be the case were it immoderate. Reply to Objection 2. Reason employs anger for its action, not as seeking its assistance, but because it uses the sensitive appetite as an instrument, just as it uses the members of the body. Nor is it unbecoming for the instrument to be more imperfect than the principal agent, even as the hammer is more imperfect than the smith. Moreover, Seneca was a follower of the Stoics, and the above words were aimed by him directly at Aristotle. Reply to Objection 3. Whereas fortitude, as stated above in Article 6, has two acts, namely endurance and aggression, it employs anger not for the act of endurance, because the reason by itself performs this act, but for the act of aggression, for which it employs anger rather than the other passions, since it belongs to anger to strike at the cause of sorrow, so that it directly cooperates with fortitude in attacking.
on the other hand, sorrow by its very nature gives way to the thing that hurts, though accidentally it helps in aggression, either as being the cause of anger, as stated above, Pars Primus Secundae, question 47, article 3, or as making a person expose himself to danger in order to escape from sorrow. In like manner, desire, by its very nature, tends to a pleasurable good, to which it is directly contrary to withstand danger. Yet accidentally, sometimes it helps one to attack, insofar as one prefers to risk dangers rather than lack pleasure. Hence the philosopher says, in Ethics 3.5, Of all the cases in which fortitude arises from a passion, the most natural is when a man is brave through anger, making his choice and acting for a purpose, that is, for a due end. This is true fortitude. Eleventh article, whether fortitude is a cardinal virtue. Objection 1. It seems that fortitude is not a cardinal virtue. For as stated above in Article 10, anger is closely allied with fortitude. Now anger is not accounted a principal passion, nor is daring which belongs to fortitude. Neither should fortitude be reckoned a cardinal virtue. Objection to further, the object of virtue is good, but the direct object of fortitude is not good, but evil, for it is endurance of evil and toil, as Tully says, on the Art of Rhetoric too. Therefore, fortitude is not a cardinal virtue. Objection 3. Further, the cardinal virtues are about those things upon which human life is chiefly occupied, just as a door turns upon a hinge, cardine. But fortitude is about dangers of death, which are of rare occurrence in human life. Therefore, fortitude should not be reckoned a cardinal or principal virtue. On the contrary, Gregory, in his commentary on Job 22, Ambrose, in his commentary on Luke 6.20, and Augustine, in his Of the Morals of the Catholic Church and the Morals of the Manichaeans 15, number fortitude among the four cardinal or principal virtues. I answer that, as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 21, articles 3 and 4, those virtues are said to be cardinal or principal, which have a foremost claim to that which belongs to the virtues in common. And among other conditions of virtue in general, one is that it is stated to act steadfastly, according to Ethics 2.4. Now fortitude, above all, lays claim to praise for steadfastness, because he that stands firm is so much the more praised, as he is more strongly impelled to fall or recede. Now man is impelled to recede from that which is in accordance with reason, both by the pleasing good and the displeasing evil. But bodily pain impels him more strongly than pleasure. For Augustine says in his 83 questions, Q. 
Question 36. There is none that does not shun pain more than he desires pleasure. For we perceive that even the most untamed beasts are deterred from the greatest pleasures by the fear of pain. And among the pains of the mind and dangers, those are mostly feared which lead to death, and it is against them that the brave man stands firm. Therefore, fortitude is a cardinal virtue. Reply to Objection 1. Daring and anger do not cooperate with fortitude in its act of endurance, wherein its steadfastness is chiefly commended. For it is by that act that the brave man curbs fear, which is a principal passion, as stated above. Ars prima secunde, question 25, article 4. Reply to Objection 2. Virtue is directed to the good of reason which it behooves to safeguard against the onslaught of evils. And fortitude is directed to evils of the body as contraries which it withstands, and to the good of reason as the end which it intends to safeguard. Reply to Objection 3. Though dangers of death are of rare occurrence, yet the occasions of those dangers occur frequently since on account of justice which he pursues, and also on account of other good deeds, man encounters mortal adversaries. Twelfth article, whether fortitude excels among all other virtues. Objection 1. It seems that fortitude excels among all other virtues. For Ambrose says, on the duties of the clergy, one, Fortitude is higher, so to speak, than the rest. Objection to. Further, virtue is about that which is difficult and good. But fortitude is about most difficult things. Therefore, it is the greatest of the virtues. Objection 3. Further, the person of a man is more excellent than his possessions. But fortitude is about a man's person, for it is this that a man exposes to the danger of death for the good of virtue. Whereas justice and the other moral virtues are about other and external things. Therefore, fortitude is the chief of the moral virtues. Objection 4. On the contrary, Tully says, on the duties of the clergy, one. Justice is the most resplendent of the virtues and gives its name to a good man. Objection 5. Further, the philosopher says, in Rhetoric 119, Those virtues must needs be greatest which are most profitable to others. Now, liberality seems to be more useful than fortitude. Therefore, it is a greater virtue. I answer that, as Augustine says in On the Trinity, 6, In things that are great, but not in bulk, to be great is to be good. Wherefore, the better a virtue, the greater it is. 
Now reason's good is man's good, according to Dionysius, on the Divine Names 4. Prudence, since it is a perfection of reason, has the good essentially, while justice affects this good, since it belongs to justice to establish the order of reason in all human affairs, whereas the other virtues safeguard this good, inasmuch as they moderate the passions, lest they lead man away from reason's good. As to the order of the latter, fortitude holds the first place, because fear of dangers of death has the greatest power to make man recede from the good of reason, and after fortitude comes temperance, since also pleasures of touch excel all others in hindering the good of reason. Now to be a thing essentially ranks before effecting it, and the latter ranks before safeguarding it by removing obstacles thereto. Wherefore, among the cardinal virtues, prudence ranks first, justice second, fortitude third, temperance fourth, and after these the other virtues. Reply to Objection 1. Ambrose places fortitude before the other virtues in respect of a certain general utility, inasmuch as it is useful both in warfare and in matters relating to civil or home life. Hence he begins by saying in On the Duties of the Clergy, 1. Now we come to treat of fortitude, which being higher, so to speak, than the others, is applicable both to warlike and to civil matters. Reply to Objection 2. Virtue essentially regards the good rather than the difficult. Hence the greatness of a virtue is measured according to its goodness rather than its difficulty. Reply to Objection 3. A man does not expose his person to dangers of death except in order to safeguard justice. Wherefore, the praise awarded to fortitude depends somewhat on justice. Hence Ambrose says in On the Duties of the Clergy 1 that Fortitude without justice is an occasion of injustice, since the stronger a man is, the more ready is he to oppress the weaker. The fourth argument is granted. Reply to Objection 5. Liberality is useful in conferring certain particular favors, whereas a certain general utility attaches to fortitude, since it safeguards the whole order of justice. Hence the philosopher says, in Rhetoric 1.9, that just and brave men are most beloved, because they are most useful in war and peace. End of question 123. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.